Good afternoon, Storehouse. Please join me in standing for the reading of God's word. Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. And it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, just being a man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good afternoon. I hope you all are doing well. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Chrysler, all those things that everybody apparently says nowadays. Anyway, my name is Marco, and I serve as the preaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. It's a joy to be with y'all. It's a joy to be back in the pulpit. We'll get to that in just a bit. If you just walked in, if you just sat down, you can go ahead and open or load your Bible to Matthew chapter 1. We're at the start of the New Testament. We're looking at verses 18 to 23. And as you do that, let me just give you two quick updates. The first one is in light of the holidays. Some of you might be new, we'd love to connect with you. And I would invite you, I would encourage you to fill out one of our connect cards so we know how to pray for you or Lord willing, get to hang out with you. Secondly, if you've been here over the last couple of weeks, you've noticed that we've had several guest preachers uh, passionately and faithfully proclaim the good news of Jesus to you. Uh, those, Some of those men, actually all of them, are in this room serving in some capacity. And so thank you all so much for serving our church this way. This is Alan. There's Tony, and then Miguel is in the back. Y'all can give them a big round because they served y'all. Yeah. They served y'all by once more preaching faithfully and passionately. I was blessed. I was ministered to, especially in sitting under the preached word uh, of these, these men. So with all that being said, let me begin our time with prayer, and then we'll dig into the text by way of story. Join me in prayer. Father, as we come before you, as we examine your word, would you meet us where we are? By your spirit, would you help us to reorient our lives around your truth, around your word, and around the work that you've done for us? Father, by your spirit, would you Give us the courage to repent of our sin as you convict us of sin. To be reminded that there is no shame in repentance, but grace. Father, we ask that both as we receive your word and as we leave here later this afternoon, that our souls would be refreshed by your grace. We thank you for today. We thank you for all that you have done and are doing, and I pray that our time would glorify you and that we would be changed and sanctified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, about a year ago, my son and I went to a concert along with some of the men in our church, and we went to go see King's Kaleidoscope and Propaganda. Some of you may know who they are, some of you don't, and that's okay. We went to a concert in Austin, and it was amazing because it was this two-story venue. Everybody's like bumping and jumping and dancing and jamming out. It was one of the best concerts I'd ever been to with my son and with a group of friends. And at one point, if you're curious, these, these, uh, this group and this individual, they're, they're uh, hip-hop artists, they're Christian singers, and at one point, King's Kaleidoscope sang a hymn, and the whole place nearly erupted. I was in tears. It was, it was amazing. I, I, I loved it. But more so than that, there was, this one, there was at one point for my son, he was way more excited to see propaganda. Propaganda, as I mentioned, he's a hip-hop artist, he's a writer, he's a poet. And when my son was younger, he looked to uh, Prop's first album. And he ended up memorizing almost every word of every song on that album by heart. And here we were almost six years after him first listening to his album. Now he's getting to see him live. He's dancing and he's jamming to his music along with friends and fans. And if you don't know my son, Chungo does this thing where he awkwardly waves at people intentionally to see if they wave back. And at one point and during the concert, we're on the second floor and he awkwardly waves to propaganda. And as propaganda is working on his set, he stops and he waves back to Chungo. It was the best thing ever because he was noticed by propaganda. He's going all sorts of insane. And the rest of us are cheering him on because we knew how special that moment was for him. It is one thing to go to a concert and see your favorite artist live. It's quite another thing to interact with them. Soon after his set was done, Propaganda goes on to say, hey, I'll be at a table if you want to come buy some merch or say hi. And so Chango didn't waste any time. As soon as Prop leaves the stage, Chango makes his way down. And as he's walking to Prop's table, he sees that it's loaded with fans and commotion and hustle and bustle and people moving everywhere. And he was just hoping to maybe buy a beanie, maybe get some merch as he's making his way, inching his way to Propaganda. Propaganda notices and sees Chango and the amazing happens, the unexpected happens. Prop grabs him, pulls him in, gives him this hug, and then puts his arm around him, and they snap a couple of pictures together. It was a, it was a wonderful night, totally awesome, never forget it. This dude drew near to Chungle and pulled him in, making the experience of simply meeting propaganda so much more interactive and intimate. The closer he drew to propaganda, the more powerful the experience of seeing him became. In a similar-ish way, our text tells us the story of the nearness of God, an experience that is far greater and more significant than seeing our favorite artist live. See, because we're not talking about a hip-hop artist, we're talking about the God of the Bible who is holy, good, eternal, and who we cannot approach because of our sin. But he draws near to us. Here's what I want you to walk away with today as we examine Matthew 1. Here it is. You ready? The purpose and promise of Christmas is that God draws near to us in Jesus. The purpose and promise of Christmas 
is that God draws near to us in Jesus. The majority of our time is going to be focused on verses 21 to 23. But before we get there, I want to look at verses 18 to 20 as they provide us with a little bit of context so that you and I know what's going on. The writer of this book, his name is Matthew, and he's giving us a glimpse into the story of Mary and Joseph. These are Jesus's earthly parents. Their account is only uh, written in Matthew or recorded in Matthew and in Luke's gospel. So let's just consider those two verses and I'll dive in. Here's what Matthew says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So right at the start of Matthew, we're introduced to this young couple, Mary and Joseph. And what we know from this short introduction is that they are betrothed. In other words, they are engaged to one another, engaged to be married soon. They've honored God in their relationship. They've honored one another in their relationship. This is a God-fearing, God-loving couple. When it came to engagement, when it comes to engagement, particularly in the Jewish culture and especially in the days of Jesus, the engagement was of a serious matter. The people took that very seriously because it was almost as though the weight of marriage was placed on them already as they were making their way to the wedding day. Engagement had wonderful opportunity for joy and celebration, but also, if uh, not handled well, there were some pretty serious consequences, according to the law. And so in this, we learned that they're engaged, they're making their way to the wedding, and at some point, Mary learns that she is pregnant. I wonder what that conversation was like with Joseph. Hey, by the way, I know we're getting married, and that's cool. Also, preggers, BT dubs, and it's not yours. Let's eat, right? Like, that was kind of an awkward conversation, I would imagine. And so what ends up happening is that as Joseph is learning this news and as Mary is telling him, hey, but what I want you to know, remember, she knows what's going on at this point. She's like, I want you to know, however, that this child has been divinely conceived. This child uh, is uh, sudden, but divine. And Joseph doesn't know what to do. Maybe he freaks. I don't know. But we learn a little bit about his character. The text says that he was a just man. In other words, that he was a man of godly character. Because of this pregnancy, according to the law, if this was made public, not only would they be separated, but she could be, at the very least, humiliated. At its very worst, executed. And so Joseph, with a spirit of compassion, 
Rather than shaming Mary publicly, he decides he's going to separate from her quietly in order to spare her humiliation and any more severity. Yet as he's working through this, as he goes to sleep this one day, an angel appears to him and reveals the entirety of the story. That child that Mary is pregnant with is of the Holy Spirit, divinely conceived and ordained. And in this clarity, here's what I love about Joseph. It's not up on the screen. This is verse 24. He receives this clarity. He receives this revelation from God through the angel. And here's what Joseph does. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. He receives clarity. He receives comfort and conviction from the message of the angel that's from God. And Joseph moves forward. This is my bride. What a boss. Here's what I want you to know, just from 18 and 20. Godly character is not measured by having all of the answers, but by the conviction of your confession. Godly character is not measured by whether or not you have all of the answers, but by the conviction of your confession. And so now let's consider verse 21. It reads, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel begins to unpack the plan of God to Joseph, as we just read. And so he presents two realities. Right in that one verse, he presents two realities. Ready? Our problem, God's promise. In that one verse, he shows us our problem and God's promise. So let's begin with our problem. What's our problem? Our problem is our sinful condition. You and I are sinners. That's the first thing. We're not talking about the promise yet, but we're talking about the problem. You and I are sinners, and the solution to our problem is not a formula, but a person. His name is Jesus. And his name refers to who he is, his office, so to speak. Jesus means salvation, that he is our Savior. And who does our Savior save? Sinners. You're like, that's a little repetitive. Yes, On purpose, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Church, you and I have to reckon with the fact that we are sinners by nature and choice. You and I fall short of the glory of God. We rebel willingly and passionately against God. We sin against one another and then blame others for it. Oftentimes, we believe that in our sin, we're the only ones affected by it. And if that's not enough, everything from death, corruption, and sickness are horrible realities that are the result of sin. This is what Alan was preaching on a number of weeks ago, that sin is as old as the garden in Genesis 3. As a result of our sin, God owes you and I Nothing. Let 
In fact, the Bible says that apart from knowing God, we are subject to his wrath and judgment. There are some who would say, do we really need to be reminded of that on Christmas? (laughs) Yes. We need to be reminded of that on Christmas because we don't always know that we're sinners. We intentionally forget that we're sinners. And we willingly and naturally wish to orient our lives around something outside of God. Christmas, or the arrival of Jesus, reveals that our problem is not external. It's internal. Our deepest problem is ourselves. See, our deepest problem is not the government. It is not oppression. It is not your spouse. It is not our circumstance. It is not our intellect. Our deepest problem is ourselves. You and I, here's the kind of irony in all this, you and I long for value, worth, meaning, and deliverance. And we will look to anyone or anything apart from God who we think will give that for us. This irony is that we're crying out all the day long for deliverance, but we seek it in creation rather than the creator. The text itself, verse 21, shows us that because Jesus came into the world to save sinners, that you and I are far from God, that our sin separates us from God, places us at distance in opposition to God. What's more is that you and I, as a result of our sinful condition, can never approach God rightly. We cannot earn our way to God. You and I will never be strong enough to approach God on our own. We will never be smart enough to approach God on our own. We will never be morally good enough to approach God on our own. We are entirely affected by our sin. This is our condition. And you and I try to soften that up by saying, hey, we're all human, right? And then we compare ourselves to Hitler. At least I'm not like Hitler, right? We go to extremes. But that only shows how normative we think sin is. A couple of weeks ago, we walked walked through Malachi, and this is what the Israelites were doing. The Israelites were rebelling against God, thinking they can do their own thing, And then they get upset because God won't bless them. Some of you feel that way sometimes. Right? At a distance from God, but yet why won't God do anything? Why won't God bless this? Why doesn't God do something? Isaiah 59, here's what he says. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. It's not that the Lord can't help you. It's not that he isn't listening. It's not that he can't be at work. But your iniquities, your sin, our sin, has, have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear 
Because we are sinners, we cannot approach God. In fact, there is no man, no person who can actually approach God on their own except Jesus Christ, our Savior. It is through the virgin birth that Jesus enters our mess, lives a sinless life, takes responsibility for our sin through his death on the cross, satisfying the wrath of God on our behalf. This Jesus dies, is buried, and then is resurrected three days later by the power of the Holy Spirit, conquering sin and death, leaving them in the grave, and offering us the grace of his salvation that we cannot earn. The name of Jesus is water to a parched soul. The name of Jesus is an encouragement, a life-giving encouragement to all who are burdened and heavy laden. The problem of our sin condition is resolved through the purpose and person of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. So now let's consider verse 22. If verse 21 tells us who Jesus is, verse 22 and 23 tells us what he does. And so the angel continues to unpack proof of this revelation of this promise that Jesus will save. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. He's quoting from Isaiah 7 here. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I love that in order to hook Joseph up with proof, the angel draws from Scripture. So this miraculous event has just taken place. You're going to be Jesus' earthly dad, right? And let me point you to what the text says. Let me point you to a prophecy from 500 years ago to show you how this moment was prophesied. Now, we can't get into Isaiah 7 right now, but in, if you read Isaiah 7, there's this situation happening, happening in Israel, and this text has immediate application and relevance to that situation, while at the same time, it points forward to the coming Messiah. That's the first thing. So he pulls from Scripture, so the angel knows his Bible. Great. Secondly, consider the second name of Jesus, and that is Emmanuel, God with us. This reveals how Jesus will save sinners by drawing near to them. God will come in the flesh, not forfeiting his divinity, but adding to himself humanity in Jesus, and he will draw near to us. The Apostle John writes it this way, that he will dwell among us. How does God draw near to you and I? How did God draw near? Easy. He moved into the neighborhood. He moved into the colonia. In dwelling among us, it's not simply that God in Christ walks around the earth. I'm here. I'm just going to keep walking. It's cool. I'll see you at Bible study. It's not that way. But that there's intimacy 
He draws near by way of relationship and interaction and communion. He draws near not just by existing as the God-man, but through what he does, his life, his death, and his resurrection. God draws near to us through his life. In other words, Jesus fulfills all of the laws that you and I break. He is perfect righteousness, and then he gives us that righteousness. God draws near to you and I through his death by paying for our sin, our crimes, our rebellion, so that we might have life. God draws near to you and I through his resurrection by swallowing death and promises a resurrection of our own, a new life. The Apostle Peter said it this way, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but alive in the Spirit. The good news of the gospel is greater than the seasonal tagline, Jesus is the reason for the season. It's greater than that. It's that God draws near to us in Jesus. The psalmist writes, that salvation belongs to the Lord. Therefore, just as bad as our condition is, and we kind of unpacked that just a little bit, we must also recognize the glory of his saving work for us. A pastor, his name is Matt Hensley, says it this way. It wasn't just the arrival of Jesus onto the earth that redeemed us. It was his perfect life, sacrificial death, victorious resurrection, and triumphant ascension that brought the redemption we require because of sin. Just as much as we unpack sin, we need to unpack salvation because I think as Christians, sometimes you and I soften the significance of God's work for us. So, what are the benefits of this salvation? Well, because God draw near to us in Jesus, we have been delivered from the wrath of God through the grace of God. Because God draws near to us in Jesus, our sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. Because God draws near to us in Jesus, we have been given power over our sin through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Because God draws near to us in Jesus, we have been delivered from the consequences of our sin. Because God draws near to us in Jesus, we have received redemption. You're not just better, you're new. Because God draws near to us in Jesus, you have been reconciled to God. You've been restored, brought back into relationship with God. A right standing with God. Because God draws near to us in Jesus, we are a new creation. Who you were is not who you are because of Jesus. Because God draws near to us in Jesus, we have received new hearts with new mind and with new desires. And I realize that last one sometimes may be hard for some individuals because you might be going through a difficult season or you're in a rocky circumstance. I can't promise you that your circumstances will change. 
But what I can tell you is that God drawing near to you in Jesus changes you. It changes your heart, your mind, your soul. It will refresh your spirit in the midst of a circumstance or season that may not change. Because we have received new hearts and new desires, we now live new lives. Can I get an amen on that? We live new lives? Right? Thanks, Izzy. But there's some rub in that, isn't there? There you go. There's some rub in that because check it. You and I will say, yes, amen. We love that, the fact that God draws near to us in Jesus. We love the fact that Jesus has died for us, therefore our sins have been forgiven. But what actually does it mean for God to draw near to you? Here it is. It means that he gets into your business. It means that God drawing near to you means that he's going to call us to a life of holiness. And we don't like that entirely. We like it with some areas of our lives, but not the areas that deal with our personal happiness or our functional saviors that we don't want to tell people about. We're all about the benefits of salvation, not so much the responsibility of sanctification. We love that spiritual work, not too much about godliness. Why? Because you know what you're doing. Right? Not the aggress. It's the slogan of storehouse. You, you know what you're doing. And I understand it because there might be some practical fear that God will want to make you something other than what you are now, what you're actually meant to be. See, some of you are like, I just want to be a better human, but having God draw near to you means that he makes us truly human. One way or another, God will draw near to you. And for the Christian, that's going to be received with joy, not a Christian, it will be received with fear of judgment. But it is good that God draws near to us. The psalmist says it this way, not on your notes, but for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Love the fact that we're forgiven. Love the fact that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But for many of us, if we're honest, we want to try to please God while still doing our own thing. We want to outline our conditions for what faith is, our conditions for what obedience is, our conditions for what it looks like to serve God. But the truth is, apart from the gift of faith, it is impossible to please God. That's almost exactly what the author of Hebrews says. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That word belief has implication. It means that we surrender, we come under the submission of what we believe, not just that we can intellectually point it out. The arrival of Jesus means that God draws near to sinners like you and I. 
the arrival of Jesus means that God draws near to sinners like you and I. And the beauty of this good news is that we can then draw near to God through faith and repentance. That's it. As God draws near to us, we can then draw near to him in faith and repentance. And what's the gift of faith? But seeing what the truth is through his word, agreeing to it, and then surrendering. And what is repentance but turning away from our sin and turning to Jesus? Because of Jesus, we can draw near to God and receive grace. Undeserving favor from God toward you. Because of Jesus, we can draw near to God and actually do what is pleasing to God. Because of Jesus, we can draw near to God by coming to Jesus in faith. And the beauty of drawing near to God is that it's not grounded on the intensity, clarity, or intelligence of faith exercise, but grounded through the person and work of Jesus. So, are you far from God? Are you far from God? Christian, you are not far from God. If you know Jesus, if you've come to Jesus by faith, you are not far from God in that sense. You've experienced salvation. You've experienced the forgiveness of your sins. Positionally, you belong to him because of Jesus. But practically... There are some who walk in habitual sin, longing to please God while protecting what you consider to be personal happiness. But in reality, it's disobedience. Maybe you're far from God, not positionally, but you're far from God practically, and you've grown cold and indifferent. Maybe you've harbored bitterness. Maybe you've grown apathetic, or simply speaking, maybe you just don't feel close to God. The invitation for you today is that because God has drawn near to you through Jesus, you can draw near to him. There is grace for you to experience and embrace. All of this is for you because of his love for you. You can be revived if you seek him. So let me invite you to repent of your sin, to turn to the Lord Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. In him, there is much, much grace so that you would experience communion and relationship. And if you're not a Christian, you didn't have to be here. It's Christmas Eve. Thank you for being here. It means a lot to us. You're far from God. Positionally and practically. You might say, well, I came to a Christmas Eve service to feel good. 
But if that were the case, then I'd be doing you and our church a disservice in not preaching the full counsel of God. The arrival of Jesus is a word of joy for the believer and a word of warning for you. You stand condemned before God and are at war with him. You cannot moralize your way to God. You cannot pay your spiritual debt on your own or at all. You need one who is stronger, one who is perfect, one who is holy. And that one is the Lord Jesus Christ who offers you the gift of salvation that you cannot earn. The promise of God fulfilled in his arrival is your opportunity to turn away from your sin and turn toward Jesus in faith and repentance. See, this afternoon, I pray that you turn to Jesus and experience the joy and wonder of salvation in him. And as a result, he will draw near to you. Not just that, but he will be with you. Not just with you, but he will be for you. Not just for you, but he will dwell in you. The promise of salvation for sinners is fulfilled in the arrival of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. The concert in Austin was pretty baller, and the experience of meeting propaganda was pretty amazing. It's one of those you had to be there moments, and you weren't, so you won't never know. Yet, it's still only a slice of something greater, God drawing near. Therefore, as we leave here to celebrate with friends, family, and everyone else, let us first remember the purpose and promise of Christmas is that God draws near to us in Jesus. Praise be to his name. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you remind us of how desperate we are for your grace in Christ? Would you remind us right now of how you have drawn near to us through Jesus? Would you remind us right now that your grace is sufficient in our weakness because of Jesus? God, would you remind us that because we are forgiven of our sin, we can look to your grace in the confession of our sin. To remember your grace is our only hope. Therefore, we confess that we draw away from you, that we distance ourselves from you, whether it's in apathy or in orienting our lives around something outside of you, Lord, we confess our sin to you. Give us the grace to draw near to you in prayer and confession.